0: Welcome to City Hope London's sermon podcast. To find out more about us, visit www.cityhope.london.
1: Thank you. Okay. Hello. How's everybody? Everyone good? Good. I'm good too. <laughs> All right. So as. Uh, Many of you will know, we are continuing our series today. We're doing a series in 1 Peter. Um, We've had two weeks of looking at hope, and we are going for two weeks of looking at holiness, the first thing today. So we're going to look at how to live a holy life uh, in a world at war. So before I read the passage, or Margaret reads the passage, is Margaret around? She's oh, she's she's ready. Look, she's ready. <laughs> Brilliant. She's there. <laughs> All right. Before she does a quick introduction. Oh, okay. So this man is called. I don't know if any of you will have heard of him or seen him on YouTube. His name is Iham Ahmed, and he grew up in a town called a Syrian town called Yamouk, and he didn't come from a very um, uh, rich family. Uh, they were quite poor, but in spite of their poverty, they basically saved and scrimped and managed to get uh, him to music school where he learned to play the piano. You can see him there. Anyway, he learned to play the piano. He played beautifully. He composed songs. Um, the family grew a business. They, they got a music shop. They started to sell musical instruments and things were good. Um, but sadly, as, as we know, war came, and war came to his town, and many people left and people didn't need musical instruments, the music business kind of collapsed. But he still had this gift, he was still able to play the piano, and he'd spent a lot of time training to do so. And so he thought, what shall I do? So he began, by this time he was a man, as you can see in the picture, he started to drag his piano out. Every day, so amongst all the the bombs, amongst the the rubble, amongst the mess that you can see behind him, he dragged his piano out, and he would sing songs, and he would sometimes gather um, children, sometimes there would be other men that he knew in the town, and they would sing songs of, of hope. They would sing songs about their experiences, and he sang, and he sang every day with his piano in the street as an act of defiance. Uh, this is something different. Even though this craziness is going on around me, this is something different in, in this world that has, has gone mad. Now, some of us here have journeyed from, other, from war-torn countries. Many of us haven't. But still, we find ourselves restless, kind of out of place in a society that often seems you know, at war. But like this guy that dragged his piano out, every day and sang his songs and lived a different life, like a life that, that showed something different to those around him. We too as Christians are called to every day come out and live a life that God's called us to, a life of holiness, a life that is set apart, even though there is craziness going on around him. And actually the passage we're looking at today, it has some do's and don'ts in it, some, some, some advice from Peter, but actually we're going to read it. It has a story of, of living a different life, a life of a resistance, a life that is set apart. I'm going to pray, and then Margaret's going to come and read the passage to us. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you have called us to be holy, to be set apart. I thank you that's not something we do um, in isolation, but Lord, it's something that you have um, done for us. I pray today that you would help us to listen, help us to focus, help us to fix our eyes on you. Help me to communicate well. Um, Father, these are my bread and fishes. I pray that you would just multiply them this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. The lovely Margaret, who should be on this stage more often, can you come up, please? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to do it from Donna. There we go.
0: Yes, today's Bible passage is First Peter 1, verse 13, and 2, verse 3. So prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Put your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy yourselves. It's quite a long one. Your own desires. You don't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, You must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamp of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins When you obey the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other dearly with all your hearts. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life would last forever. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord Amen. remains forever. Yes. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies. Babes. You must crave... Hear spiritual milk, so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for its nourishment, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. That's the reading of the word. (laughs) Margaret, thank you so much. Thank you so
1: much. Okay, so today, (laughs) um, we are going to, first of all, we're going to look at what holiness is. Partly because I think sometimes we can have, it can be seem a bit mystical. Um, and so I want to check we're kind of all on the same song sheet with that. Um, and then we're going to look at three points. Holiness, having a set apart mind, set apart time, and everybody's favorite point, choose the wine. Wine, obviously, meeting, meaning the blood of Jesus, not like a wine, wine. Okay. Just to say there are a couple of um, themes in this passage that are repeated um, later on in other sermons, so I'm going to skip a few, I'm going to jump around quite a little bit in terms of the text, um, because I don't want to nick Paul Brown's sermon from next week. (laughs) Even though I didn't mind nicking his Christmas suit, I don't want to (laughs) nick his sermon. (laughs) All right, so let's have a look. We'll start with looking at holiness, the way of holiness. So it says in verse 15, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. So I don't know what you think about when you think of holiness or a holy person. Maybe certain people come to mind. So maybe you think of somebody like this, Justin Welby, you know, he's, The holy person, you might be thinking of him. Maybe you think of another um, bishop, the lovely late Archbishop uh, Tutu. Maybe you think of a different kind of bishop. Any of you that are old like me will remember. I don't know how holy he was. He was a bit grumpy. But anyway, you might think of that kind of bishop. But most of you probably will think of Denise Brown. Let's be honest. (laughs) because she's probably the holiest of them all, especially she's even got a halo in this picture. She is holy. Now, what do all of these people, the holy people that I've shared, have in common? Well, the thing that probably they've got in common is we think of them as good people, okay? They're good people, and holiness often can kind of be thought of or get reduced to simply moral goodness. But actually... If we look at the Bible, we can see that moral goodness is really only just one very small part of the story. So we're going to look at the kind of bigger story just for a few minutes. Now, I'll keep keep them to these brown up while we do. Um, So in the Old Testament, um, there's a Hebrew word for holiness. I'll probably pronounce it wrong, so I hope there's no scholars in the house. But the Bible project says it's pronounced as kadosh. Okay, So the Hebrew word for holiness is kadosh, which means unique or set apart from. And in the Old Testament, actually, the word kadosh refers to lots of things. So it can refer to a day in the calendar, it can refer to a room, it can refer to a thing, or people can be kadosh. So what makes God kadosh? Because it says that God is holy. The thing that makes God kadosh and really holy is that he is creator, okay? So he is the one, is the only one, that is not created, okay. Everything else, you know, is a, is a created thing. But he created. No one created him, and that's what sets him apart. It's what makes him completely unique. Now, for something else to be holy, the thing that makes other things holy is their close relationship to the holy God. Okay, so other things are set apart because they're connected to him who is already kadosh. So when the Israelites are called to be holy in the Old Testament, that doesn't mean they're being asked to try and be God and try and create something in the way that he does, because they can't. It means that they should put themselves or position themselves to acknowledge God's holiness or to be set apart from other things so that they can be connected to him. And as we know, if you read the Old Testament, you'll know for sure that Israel had a whole load of, of rules and rituals around this, you know, not touching this, not touching that. Um, Yeah, that's what they had. But actually, in Leviticus, where this quote is from, uh, the quote that Margaret just read out about being holy as I am holy, um, holiness started to get uh, applied to more than just rituals. So we start to see it being applied to things like justice, um, business practices, the way people um, live their lives. So we see that come in. So God is holy, God is kadosh because he created. How are we supposed to be holy? Because obviously we, we can't create in the same way that God does. We can't be creator and sustainer of life like he is. Um, so for, some, for us to be holy, we have to, like I said before about the other things, we have to have a special relationship with God, a relationship that will bring us into close proximity with him and basically this is a lot of the bible story it's about a holy god a kadosh god who created the whole universe and created us makes it happen brings a people or or does something we know what the thing he does so that we can be close to him how he provides jesus for that closeness and that holiness to happen so we're going to instead of Honing in on kind of the instructions of Peter today, I'm going to look more on what things we can do to, to get close to Jesus, and then ultimately what he did to make that happen. So the first point we're going to look at is how we can set apart our minds. So in verse 13, it says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into the old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. So prepare your minds for action, your minds for action and exercise self-control. So it doesn't jump in with lots of things, lots of actions to do and do. It talks about our minds. Now can I ask, is anybody reading this passage from the King James version. Any, no one's got their Bibles out because we were looking at the screen. Now as Paul Wittersey said, I can do, and I did think that Paul Wittersey might be able to help me out here, I'm actually going to ask Paul if he could come and help. So not only do I want you to read it out from the um, King James, but also I'm going to ask you to, to help me out a bit more than that if you don't mind. <laughs> <Doesn't nice>. he? <laughs> He's got to, okay. Just that little. Verse
0: thirteen. Wherefore, gird up your line, look your lines, your loins, uh, the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ.
1: No, no, don't go away, because I am going to need your help. You're perfect for me, actually, this morning. Because gird up your loins, that's quite an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's not something that we would normally talk about. So we're gonna, I'm going to explain to you what gird up your loins means today. So, Paul, no, no, don't go, anyway. <laughs> I'm afraid, <laughs> in the time that this was written, you're lucky, this could have been a wedding dress. That was my other long dress. Um, I should have... Just try and do it quite quickly. <laughs> so the p pe- is it just a, it's just a long garment. Please don't take any photos. No social media. All right. So. If you could just calm down a bit, (laughs) his wife is busily taking a photo. It's so mean. (laughs) Okay, so the people at the time would have been wearing long garments. Now, they wouldn't have been exactly like this. They wouldn't have been this lovely bright blue colour, but they would have been like this in terms of length. It needs to be long right it would have been like this in terms of of length and actually when it says gird up your loins people if they had to do any activity actually Paul funnily enough is a runner he's really really good at running and so if he was to run go for a run now or if he was to fight in a battle or any of those things that people used to do all the time um he would it wouldn't be much use in the dress I mean this robe which is what people would have been wearing it would be hard would it be hard to go for a run in something like this Uh, don't (laughs) spoil my point, it it would have been very, (laughs) it's too long, yes, it's too long. And so, so basically, go up your loins means that people have to get their robe and make it so that they can do some action. So, Paul, can you do that? Now, the thing is, if you just do that, that is useless, because if somebody, I started to fight you, go into a battle, I'm just going to knock you out really quickly, and we've already done that sermon, when I hit Paul Brown on the stage, (laughs) we're not going to do that. So, you need to think of another way, what else could you do? You don't know? Well, very handily, I Googled it. Um, <laughs> we're not going to spend too much time on this, but this tells you how you can do it. So I think you have to pull the front through. That's it. Oh, I don't think it's quite big enough. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do that. I think we're getting the message. Anyway, you can take it off now. Round of applause for Paul. Round of applause for Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Oh, <laughs> so come on, come off the stage for quick, <laughs> thank you Paul, there you go, see if, if no one remembers anything else from my preach, you will have that image with you, thank you Paul, you're such a good spot, <laughs> you can go now, <laughs> but the point is, <laughs> what was the point, the point is, the point is that actually, you know, to do that, for people to have to gird up the loins, it takes a lot of effort. Okay, we couldn't do it. We had to Google it, even if we had done it, if the dress had been long enough, it's a lot of effort. You have to pull up, you have to twist around. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that straightforward to do. It takes some effort. Oh, I'm lost. Where am I? <laughs> um, it wasn't that easy. And so what Peter is saying in this passage is he's saying that to live a holy life, a set-apart life, a life that is different from those around us, it takes effort. It takes preparation. And in this passage, he's saying it takes preparation of our minds. Now, there's lots of other talk about this in the Bible, okay? There's the verse in Romans that says, Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Take every thought captive. It's an important thing because actually as human beings, we get really distracted. We get distracted by things that are going on around us. But also sometimes a lot of rubbish, to be honest, goes into our minds. You know, lies come flooding in and, you know, we set up in the morning want to live a holy life. But actually stuff comes in that, that isn't good. So... We are going to put this into practice this morning, okay? We are going to do some loin girding, don't worry. I haven't got any more dresses to put on people. (laughs) But a little bit less watching Paul put on a bit of a dress and a bit more hard work for you guys. So in a minute, we're going to have a go at this. But basically, because I think that... I mean, to be honest, in the new year, I thought, I'm not going to set loads of resolutions, but I thought, actually, there are just quite a lot of lies that just float around my head, almost like as a background music. You know, And I thought, I want to try and find the Bible verses that are going to squash those lies and read them every day. And so, so for example, one life, I've got, there's two I'll, I'll confess to. One is sometimes when I'm preparing to preach the week beforehand, I just feel really like, I, I feel quite terrible. I think, oh, they're not going to listen. What's the point? I'm putting this preparation in. I'm going to get up. And it's, just, it's all going to go horribly long. And, wh- and what's the point, really? But actually, when I look at what the Bible says, it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than every two-edged sword. So actually, it doesn't matter if someone's falling asleep on the back row and someone else is on WhatsApp. Actually, God's word is powerful. It says it is, and something will go in. It says that God says that his word doesn't return to him empty. So that's another truth that combats that lie. I have the honor of serving God in a a really amazing place, um, an estate the other side of the old Kent Road, and and I love it. But sometimes I go, and I think, why? what am I doing this for? I'm the wrong person for this job. I'm the wrong color. I'm the wrong class. What's the point? But then I look at the Bible, and it talks about me being Christ's ambassador. It talks about how I am anointed to bring good news to the poor. And those truths squash the lie. So what I'd like you to see, you're all saying yes, but what I'd like you to see now, <laughs> and it's only going to be for a few minutes because we've got other points to make, but I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you just to say, just to come up with or think of maybe one or two lies that you think you sometimes believe, that you sometimes fall for. Okay? It might be that you're no good, that no one loves you, that you're not loved in this church. And I want, as a, as a pair, and you don't have to have the scripture reference. I'm not that great at scripture references myself. But I want you to come up between you with a Bible verse that will squash that lie. Okay? So this is not a Bible test, but just to encourage each other with uh, some, some truth. We're going to do some loin girding, Okay. So we're going to do it for a couple of minutes. So just turn to somebody close to you that you feel safe with. You don't have to reveal anything really deep. I don't want it to turn into a big therapy session. But just give it a go for a couple of minutes. Right, I can hear it going into (laughs) chit-chats. So if you could bring your conversations to a close. Bring those conversations to a close. But don't forget what the person has told you, because actually you can be praying for the person that you were talking to in the week, and you can be praying every day that God helps them to combat that lie, that that verse, those verses, that bits of truth would come to mind. So can we do that for each other? Yeah? Yeah, we can. All right. All right like a teacher. <laughs> okay, let's chuck you all up. <laughs> all right, so that was uh set apart mind. Um, now we're going to look at, let's get that image off the screen, <laughs> set apart, oh, we don't want that image either, it's even worse, it's even worse, <laughs> that's what's to come, okay, <laughs> It's going to keep you listening, isn't it? Okay, set apart mind, it's going so well, set apart time, okay, so... Holiness is being set apart. We need to fill our minds with the truth, but we also need to spend time with Jesus. We need to spend time talking to him. We need to spend time listening to him. You know, Peter, who wrote this letter, his original name was Simon. And Simon means, this is a nightmare for me because I can't say my R's, but Simon means read. You know, like the long plant thing that kind of sways in the breeze, okay? Um, however, after a few years of following Jesus and acknowledging him as Messiah, Jesus changed his name to Rock. So how did Peter go from reeds, wobbly, flip-floppy, just blown in the wind, to that image of rock where he is, you know, a rock being stable and certain? Basically, he met Jesus and he spent time with him and then he was filled with his spirit. That's how he we went from shaky to sure, spending time with Jesus. And if that is what Peter needed to go from that to that, then surely that's what we need to go from reed to rock in our lives as well. We need to spend time with him and be filled with his spirit. Um, In fact, right at the beginning of the chapter, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed with the blood of Jesus. He spent his days with Jesus, talking to him, listening to him. Look what spending time with Jesus did. Look what it can do in our lives too. So we need to do everything. We can to be close to him. We need to set apart time. We might get up, we might be grumpy, we might be desperate for a cup of coffee, but we need to set that part of time. Time. Do you know what? A, f- a few weeks ago, I was trying to catch up with a friend. We were going to catch up and, and go out, and we were trying to arrange a time, and she said to me, oh, actually, Claire, I don't really want to do evenings anymore. Um, she said, I don't want to do evenings because, to be honest, I'm just trying to get up earlier, so that I can spend time with Jesus, so I can pray and stuff before I go out. And I was so, so happy <laughs> that she told me that. I almost, I almost wept, to be honest, because she'd never said no to an evening out with me before. <laughs> you know, before it'd always been like, if we're go, let's go out. And she'd be like, yes, yes, yes. But actually now she's decided no, not in the week, because she wants to get up early. She wants to set apart time to spend with Jesus. And I also thought, if I felt that much pleasure over her saying that to me, I wonder what Jesus feels Now, I am not saying he loves her more because she's getting up early and spending time with him. But I am saying that she will get to know him more and it will do her so much good. And she is bringing pleasure to her father by doing that. You see, being holy, being set apart, uh, is about our relationship now. Peter says, so you must live as God's obedient children so it's not about just obeying anyone or submitting to, to any authority, it's submitting to our father and obeying him because the obedience of a, of a child is very different to the obedience of a slave. You know, we're obeying someone, we're looking to be set apart for someone that loves us so much. How do we live as holy? We obey as children, children who know their parents, children who know they are accepted. Set so a bit you've been waiting for. Set apart mind. Set apart time. Choose the wine. Now, like Boris did. <laughs> now I'm not making a political statement on this, honestly. So what, basically, what I want to say with this slide is that God, who is holy, set apart, has called us to be holy and set apart now if you cast your mind back to party gate and all the shenanigans and stuff that happened there there were lots of reasons that people had a big problem with it but the main reason probably was people were thinking that the the person that was setting the rules was not keeping the rules okay that's the issue that people had what I want to say this morning is that that is not the same in God's story In God's story, the Father God who made the rules and gave the instructions is the one who kept them through Jesus. Jesus was without sin. It's not a party gate story. It's not a a story of a God that just, you know, Jesus just went around sinning and doing whatever he wanted and telling everyone else to be holy. The God who made the rules kept the rules. My favorite part of the passage, it says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom, long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. We need to set, set aside time, set aside our minds, And we need to make choices to live a holy life like Jesus did. God chose chose Jesus as our ransom long before the world began. And Jesus, every day, chose obedience. And when he chose obedience, he was actually choosing us. He chose a different way. He chose the way of holiness. And actually, for many of us, you know, we have choices to make about the way we live. And those choices sometimes seem painfully different to all our friends and all of those around us. But when we have those difficult choices to make, we get to look to Jesus, whose choices were always good and always right. And, you know, he chose us not because he thought we would do a really wonderful job of being holy by ourselves, because clearly we don't, but because he chose us because he knew that we couldn't. He knew that we were hopeless without him, that we wouldn't be able to draw close, that we wouldn't be able to live that life. Not without him choosing the cross or choosing us or loving us first. He chose us so that we could make choices about how we live. So we had the power and the freedom to be able to do that. So we need to prepare our minds, we need to exercise self-control, we need to set aside time, we need to look at him, we need to put some effort in, and we need to persevere, but most of all, we need to choose the wine. We need to choose to rely on his grace and his love and what he did for us to live a holy life, not on any good stuff or any effort of our own. You know, as I said at the beginning, holiness means set apart. And set apart sometimes can have funny connotations, you know, in the world. You just kind of set apart. It seems a bit of a lonely place to be. But, you know, with holiness, with Jesus, set apart is not left to one side. It's not forgotten. For us, it means set apart is remembered and chosen. It's not about restricted freedom. It's about increased freedom because our chains are gone now because of the blood of Jesus. You know, I've got a quote, very badly. I don't know who said it. I didn't write it down, but it's a wonderful quote, so I'm going to read it. It says, The holiness of God decimates our autonomy and self-sufficiency and drives us to the Saviour, who alone is able by his life and death to unite unholy people to a holy God. God reveals his holiness to us, not as a warning that we should run from Him in eternal terror, but as a welcome to us to run to Him, where weak and failing sinners always find grace that lasts forever. So let's not let the holiness of God put us off. Let's, let's not let God's holiness cause us to want to run from His n- this morning. His holiness may want us to run, but actually his amazing grace assures that our running days are over. We can come to him now. No more running, no more wandering in the wilderness, no more hiding in the garden as Adam and Eve did. Not now, and because of the hope we have for him, not in eternity. Band, if you'd like to come up, please. You know, there is a slight, I mean, obviously, there's lots of problems with the first picture that I shared of Achim um, in terms of the circumstances. But there's a, another problem in terms of it, in terms of it being an illustration. In that first picture that I shared, you know, he's playing the piano in a rubble, and he's playing alone. And sometimes we see ourselves like that, don't we? We feel like this battle to be holy, we might feel that it's alone, you know, we're in our workplace and we're there by ourselves, we're in our families who don't believe and we're there by ourselves and we feel alone like in that picture. But you know what? That is not the story for us if you belong, uh, if you are, are saved, if you know him, because holiness doesn't happen in isolation. You know, we can spend time talking to God alone, but it's not the complete story. The letter that we looked at today is written to churches that were suffering together. They were being different to those around them together, not in isolation, actually. And we need to follow their example in moving forward together. Oh, sorry. We need to be accountable. We need to ask each other questions, get together in our ones and twos, like this where he's helping him push that piano out. We need to be quoting the Bible together, squashing lies together, preparing minds together, encouraging each other to choose the wine and not just to rely on our own resources. We need to move forward together, not as solitary piano players, but actually the, the real picture of us as a church is much more like this. Not just playing by ourselves, not just trying hard by ourselves, but actually together, encouraging holiness, together inspiring each other on. And actually, then the world will really see something beautiful and hear something beautiful, something that it hasn't heard before and won't hear anywhere else. Actually, a people that love Jesus, that serve him, that will have, you know, cost, uh, there'll be a cost in that at times, but that will move together trusting in him for holiness. We are going to uh, choose the wine <laughs> very minute. We're going to take communion together um, this morning. Um, but before we do, um, I'm going to just read that passage that I just read again, and we as I do, maybe if the band will just play, and then we will go into going to the different stations to take communion. so there's some there, is there some there? Is there some in the balcony and there's some in the balcony? But let me just read this first. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. And now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Jesus, I thank you so much that we get to choose the wine. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for your blood. I thank you for the uh, massive cost you made so that we can be close to you, so that we can be friends with you now, so we can get up early and talk to you, so that we can see, look at your words and have stuff revealed to us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you. We thank you for the cost. And we thank you for your love and your obedience and the choices that you made day after day to live a holy life so that we could one day be a holy people. We're so grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.